would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at the very first one, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're taking a little bit of a break from our series looking at the Gospel of John and little mini-series, if you will, uh, looking at uh, a number of the Psalms between now and uh, the middle of February. And today we come to the very first one, Psalm 1, which is a wonderful introduction to the entire, uh, the entire list of all of the Psalms. So I'd invite you to listen as I read to you from Psalm 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray uh, so often, we ask for you to be at work through the Holy Spirit to help us to see what you want us to see from this portion of your word, that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be open to what you would have to say to us. That you would take your word and press it deeply into us, form us, shape us, making us into the people of your glory and the people that bring you glory. We pray that you would do that because we do want to grow in our understanding, our knowledge of you, but also, Father, that we would grow in our love for you and that we would grow in our desire to serve and to obey you. So we lift all these things up to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> When you read a book, do you like to read the introduction? I do. I find it's helpful in reading the rest of the book. Whether the introduction is being written by the author of the book or maybe it's some other expert that chimes in on behalf of the author, it gets us ready for the content that's in the book. It perhaps gives us key information or terminology that's going to show up later in the book. Maybe it gives us the, uh, some helpful context so that we can understand better or lays out the structure for us so that we can see kind of where the book is going to go. It prepares us. It gets us ready uh, to read what's in the rest of the book. Psalm 1, and actually scholars believe that Psalm 1 and 2 were originally uh, one psalm. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But Psalm 1 serves as an introduction to the entire Psalter. It was put first on purpose and for a reason. It prepares us for the rest of the psalms. Almost all of the rest of the psalms are prayers, but not Psalm 1. Psalm 1 reads more like it came out of the book of Proverbs as it gives us wisdom. And God in his providence and through using the people that gathered together the Psalms and the order that they're in wanted us to know something. It wanted us to introduce something to us that would help us in reading the rest of the Psalms that are in the Bible. So what is it? There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are the righteous or the blessed or the happy. 
And then there are the unrighteous and the wicked and those who are not blessed. And and the way that those two different kinds of people live, what they do is completely different. There are two different results. There are two different destinies. Today we're going to see a very simple message from Psalm 1. But it's a message that has very important consequences for all who are listening to what the psalmist has to say to us. So let's look and see three things. First of all, what do the righteous do? Secondly, what do the wicked do? And then lastly, how can we move from being wicked in the eyes of the Lord to being righteous in the eyes of the Lord? So first of all, what do the righteous do? Well, notice at verse 1 and verse 6, the psalmist actually uses two different words for the type of person that he's describing. In verse 1, he says it's a man who's blessed. And then in verse 6, he mentions the righteous. He's using these terms interchangeably. They're, they're synonymous in his mind. The man who is blessed, the man who is righteous. The word blessed in the Hebrew can be translated as happy. It has the sense of God showering his favor, showering his blessing down upon someone. Jesus used the Greek equivalent in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed is, blessed is, blessed is over and over again. And notice that the psalmist starts off, as he tells us what the righteous do, he starts off by saying that the the righteous, the blessed man, avoids certain things. You see that in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist says that there are three things that the righteous man, that the blessed man avoids. These are meant to basically all be the same thing with just a little bit of nuance. What's the first one? Well, he avoids walking in the counsel of the wicked. In the Bible, if you walk in something, it means what you live in, what, what characterizes you as you live, how, how you walk is how you live. And he says the righteous man doesn't live with the counsel, with the, the advice, with the input, with the recommendation of the wicked, of, of those that are evil. He says, secondly, that he avoids standing in the way of sinners. He avoids putting himself in the ways and the actions and the thoughts of sinners, those who disobey God's word. And thirdly, he says he avoids sitting in the seat of scoffers, of, of mockers. He's not talking about just people that, are, that, that, that mock and scoff in general. He's speaking specifically in the context of people who scoff and mock the Lord God Almighty. He avoids seating in that seat. He avoids all three of these things because they're evil. He knows that if he was living in these things and walking in these things and sitting in these things, it would bring him down and lead to his destruction. So first, the psalmist says, what does the righteous man do? What does the blessed man do? He avoids evil. He avoids what is wicked. But then notice the blessed man doesn't just avoid things. He also pursues things. You can see what he pursues at the end of verse 2. He meditates. He meditates. The righteous man, the blessed man meditates. Now we'll see in just a moment what he meditates on and how much he meditates. We'll look at that in just a second. But for now, let's just for a moment consider what is meditation. What does it mean to meditate? 
When you meditate on something, you think intensely about it. You think about it in a very focused way. You ponder deeply in an unhurried, intentional way. You, you think about, you, you reflect on, you, you ponder, and you fill your mind with something. Isn't it interesting that in the Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies, to truly meditate, you're supposed to get everything out of your mind. You're supposed to empty your mind. But in biblical meditation, you fill your mind up. You fill your mind with what is true. One commentator in describing meditation says that meditation is the mind or truth descending into the heart until truth catches fire in the soul. That's what we're doing when we meditate, and I thought of a negative example of meditation. Now, I may or may not have thought about this at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, when I woke up uh, and couldn't get back to sleep. But then it came. That was the illustration. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night? Your, yeah, me too. Me too. And, and what happens is that your mind starts to, starts to go. You start to think about, now it, it might be something exciting, something that you're really eager looking forward to, or it might be something that makes you really anxious. But what happens? Your mind starts to ponder it deeply. You think about it intensely, and you can't go back to sleep. What are you doing? You're meditating in that moment. You're meditating deeply. This is what the righteous man does. He, he meditates. But on what does he meditate? Well, look, we see in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. The law of the Lord, he mentions it twice here in this one verse, and the Hebrew word that is used here is Torah. Because that's the word that the psalmist used, we know he was thinking about more than just the Old Testament laws. He was thinking about more than just the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Because the sense of the Hebrew word Torah is the instruction in totality from the Lord. The psalmist is saying that the righteous man, the blessed man, he, he meditates, he, he thinks deeply, he thinks intensely on in all of the instruction that he's been given from the Lord. Which for us means the entire Bible. As we now have the finished and completed word of God. His instruction to us as his people. This is what he meditates on. The law of God, the Torah. And how often does the righteous man meditate on the word? Well, what does it say at the end of verse 2? On his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. Meditating once isn't enough. Meditating on the Word of God once a week isn't enough. Meditating on the law of God every other day isn't enough. Meditating on the law of God every day once is not enough. He says day and night we are to be meditating on the Word of God. I don't think the psalmist was seeking to be overly literal here saying that we need to begin our day by reading the word of God and end our day reading the word of God, although that's certainly a great way of going about it. But his point is that the righteous man, the blessed man, meditates on the word, meditates on the instruction from God all the time. 
It's in our hearts and it's in our heads. It's in our ears. So if we listen to it, as we read it, we're, we're thinking about it as we go about our days, not just in the planned times when we sit down to study and meditate on the word, but every moment of our day as we go through our activities, as we serve in various ways, as we have recreation, we are meant to be thinking about and reflecting on and meditating on the word. And did you notice what it leads to when we do? What does he say? His delight is in the law. When we take the word of God, his instruction to us, and we meditate on it, think deeply about it, we ponder it deeply, and we do it throughout our day over and over and over again, it becomes our delight. It becomes a joy to us, happiness, contentment satisfaction, encouragement, and hope. So this is what the man does. He avoids evil. He avoids the wicked, but he pursues the Lord. He pursues him through meditating on his word, the word of the Lord. And notice we get here some of the results of the righteous man doing this, right? He avoids certain things, the evil, and he pursues something else, meditation on the instruction of the Lord. And what's the result of the righteous man doing this? Well, what does he say at the end of verse three? In all that he does, he prospers. The Hebrew word there has the sense of being made strong and successful. The righteous man flourishes. He grows. He, he matures. He develops. He is successful. We need to be careful here. The psalmist is not saying that the man prospers as a reward for avoiding and pursuing. The man doesn't earn his prosperity from the Lord because of what he does. What the psalmist is saying is that it is the result of him avoiding evil and pursuing the Lord through meditating, through meditation on his word, that that, that then is the byproduct, that his flourishing and prospering is the byproduct. It's the result. It's not something that he earns. He prospers in all that he does. He flourishes. But there's another result here, and that's at the beginning of verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the blessed man. And we know that the Hebrew word here doesn't just mean know about or to know some information or to be familiar with. No, the, the word here that he says knows, that the Lord knows the righteous, has a sense of caring for. It even has a sense of intimacy, closeness. And when we understand that that's the meaning of the word and it's coupled with the fact that he uses Yahweh, then what we have here is knowing that the Lord knows us. He knows the righteous. He knows the blessed. He knows God's people in a deep way, in a caring way, in a covenantally loving way. The Lord has regard for has watches, it watches, he watches over, he sustains, he protects, and he guides and guards the righteous. The, the righteous man prospers, he flourishes, he's known by the Lord. And there's another result here that we see in verse 3. The blessed, the righteous man is blessed and happy regardless of his circumstances. You see this illustration, this picture that the psalmist uses he he's telling us about the righteous man 
what he doesn't do, what he does do. And then he gives us an illustration. He gives us a picture of it in verse 3. He says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Normally, trees are impacted by the circumstances around them. When there's plentiful, there's plentiful water available to the tree, the tree will thrive, it will flourish, there'll be leaves, there'll be fruit, there'll be vibrant life. But when there's time of lack of rain and even drought, the leaves can wither and there won't be any visible fruit and the tree can seem as if, as if it's actually dead. But the picture here is different. The picture here is of a tree that has been intentionally planted next to a source of life. Streams of water. The roots of the tree go deep down into the source of the life of the, of the water and it produces fruit and healthy leaves. It doesn't matter how much rain falls from the sky. It is so connected to the source of life that a tree flourishes and prospers. And the psalmist is saying that's what the righteous man is like. His roots, roots go deep into the source of life, into the Lord himself, into the word of God, the Torah, the instruction of God. And as a result, his ultimate blessing and happiness and contentment and joy is not dependent on his circumstances. If he goes through a season of drought or dryness or, or weariness, Temptation, when persecution comes, he won't be destroyed. Yes, he'll be, it'll be difficult, it'll be hard, he'll have to struggle and wrestle. But as he struggles and wrestles, he will not be undone, he will not be overcome, he will not be defeated. That's why we say so often here that when we go through seasons of, of, of dryness, of drought spiritually in our lives... When we go through times of discouragement, it is all the more important that we stay in the Word of God. That we connect our source, ourselves to the source of life, the Lord's Word that tells us about Him, about who He is. We need it more than ever when we are going through those, the, those, those times and those seasons. Because it is the Word of God that God uses to fill us back up with those streams of living water. So this is what the righteous man does and doesn't do. This is the result of what happens as a result of what, how he lives. But how does he describe the wicked? He doesn't just describe the, the righteous man, the blessed man. He also describes the wicked. And after he got done describing the righteous man in the first three verses, notice his very short description of the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. All those things that he was describing about the righteous man, the, the wicked are not like that. That means that the wicked pursue what the righteous avoid. They do walk in the counsel of the wicked. They stand in the way of sinners. They sit in the seat of scoffers. They don't run away from those things, but they seek them out. They surround themselves with things and people that encourage and celebrate evil. And not only do they pursue what the righteous one avoids, they also avoid what the righteous one pursues. They avoid meditating on the instruction of the Lord. They don't take time to, to meditate on the word of God. They don't delight in taking time to think deeply and intensely about the word of God. 
And they certainly don't do it day and night throughout their daily lives and throughout their life. That's how he describes them. And then he gave an illustration of them, just like he gave an illustration of the righteous. He gives an illustration of the wicked. It's at the end of verse four. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. It was a common agricultural reference for that time and that place. It's the picture of grain being threshed. It was the process when the, they would remove the grain kernel from the chaff or the, the husk or the straw around the kernel of grain. And then all of it would be thrown up into the air and the chaff was lighter than the grain and the grain would fall back to the floor, but the wind would take the chaff and blow it away. There was no need for the chaff. There was no use for the chaff. It was completely useless and unwanted. And psalmists are saying that that's like what the wicked are. Their life is light. It's easily blown away. It's without ultimate purpose and ultimate usefulness. It's interesting that how little that the wicked are described here in contrast to how much he described the righteous. It's, it's meant to be a stark contrast to us. And what's the result of the lives of the wicked? Well, he gives that to us in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. And because he used the definite article there, the judgment, it's likely he's referring to the final judgment as everyone stands before their creator and has to give an account for their lives. They won't make it through unscathed, he says. They won't be able to stand. They will fall. And he goes on in verse 5 to say that they won't have a place in the congregation or the assembly of the righteous. They won't be in heaven. At the end of verse 6, he says they will perish. Not talking about them just dying in this life, which is true for all, till Jesus comes back. But he's speaking about perishing into eternal judgment and torment. The, the contrast here between the righteous and the wicked is stark. It is, it is vivid. On the one hand, we see this wonderful, encouraging, inspiring picture of the righteous, of the blessed. And on the other, we see this horrifying picture of the wicked. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we end today is, how do we move from being wicked in the eyes of the Lord to being righteous in the eyes of the Lord? What makes the righteous man righteous? What makes the blessed man blessed? What makes the happy man happy? It's not simply because they do all of these things that are listed here in Psalm 1. So ultimately, what is it that makes the righteous man righteous? Remember, I pointed out earlier in the service that most scholars believe that the earliest Hebrew manuscripts had Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together as one psalm. Psalm 1 gives us wisdom about the righteous, about the blessed man. And Psalm 2 gives us a picture of the Messiah to come. The son who was to be kissed. The one who would bring blessing to God's people. And the main reason why scholars see these two psalms as connected is because 
as the Psalm 1 begins and as Psalm 2 ends, we see the very same theme and language. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. Psalm 2 ends at the very last sentence, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 1 points us to the man that is blessed. Psalm 2 points us to the Messiah who does the blessing. And what does the end of Psalm 2 tell us about what makes the blessed man blessed? About what makes the righteous man righteous? What does it say? Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. What does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? This is how we move from being wicked in the eyes of the Lord to being righteous and blessed in the Lord. It is that we are to take refuge in the Lord. What does that mean? It is recognizing and believing that we are sinners, that we are alienated from God, that we are born guilty and fallen because the first Adam represented us. And as he sinned and fell, we sinned and fell in him. But it's not just that we're born guilty. We're guilty on our own accord as well. We disobey the word of the Lord. We don't keep it in our thoughts and our words and our actions. We, we fail to do what it tells us to do and we do the things that we're not supposed to do. Finding our refuge in Jesus means we recognize that we are alienated from God because of our sin and that there's nothing that we can do to repair the relationship on our own that we need help. It is recognizing and believing that there's only one who can help us, and that's God himself. It is putting our hope and our trust and our faith in the one who was sent, the Messiah who was promised, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is resting in the truth that in Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, all of our sins have been paid for in full. We have been credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are his righteous. We are his blessed because we are in refuge. We have our refuge in him. Having our refuge in Jesus is finding our ultimate purpose and meaning in the Lord. It is knowing that in Christ we have been declared righteous because of him. This is how we move from being wicked in the eyes of the Lord to being righteous and blessed in the eyes of the Lord. And doesn't it then make sense, brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't it make sense that if our refuge is in Jesus, if he is our joy, if he is our security, if he is our blessing, then we will truly desire and work toward avoiding evil. We will truly desire and work at meditating on his Torah. Of, of thinking deeply and intentionally and intensely on the word of the Lord. That we would desire to drink deeply from the source of living waters that he's given to us. His very word. That God's word would truly be our delight. Blessed and righteous is the man or the woman who takes their refuge in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we come to you daily, not just once to find our refuge in Christ, but day after day after day,
to be reminded of what is true, to put once again our trust and our hope in our Savior. We pray that as we do that, that as you enable us to do that, as we find our refuge in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would remind us of all that that means for us and that we would indeed desire more than anything in the world to know you better and more thoroughly. Would you fill us with an ever-increasing desire to meditate on your word, that you would fill us up as a result of it, as we, as we connect ourselves, as we send our roots down into the living waters, the living streams of your word. And as we do, Father, we pray that you would not simply just give us a greater understanding of your word, but a greater, greater understanding of you, a greater love for you. And as a result, Father, we would have a greater desire to love and obey you. All this we ask in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.